0: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Alright, I know I had mentioned at the end of last week's episode with Mike Lindup of Level 42 that we were going to be having a couple of weeks of British alternative music legends. Well, that got pushed back because this one is very time-sensitive. It is the legendary Ray Parker Jr. Now, you guys may remember, I've been trying to make this one happen for years. Early guest, Randy Hall knew Ray and uh, tried to set this up for me. It never happened then. And then we had Fran Strine, director of Hired Gun, on here a few months ago. And uh, he had said, well I can get you Ray, but then you know, you never know if people are gonna come through. But he did! Fran came through! And so this interview, the lead time on so many of my interviews these days are like two or three months. But this happened just last week. And there's a reason for this. They are starting an Indiegogo campaign, the link of which is in the uh, show notes to this episode, and we're gonna post them on our Facebook page and tweet them out. They're starting an Indiegogo campaign because Fran is going to direct a documentary on Ray and his entire career called Who You Gonna Call? And here's the thing, I don't know if most people know this or not. Ray's career goes back well before Ghostbusters. He was one of the most sought after Session musicians for years played with Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, Leo Sayer, Seals and Crofts. There's a million people out there. So Ghostbusters was really sort of the you know the icing on the cake. That was not the main thing. Now, I approached this interview, I had sort of a thesis going into this interview. My feeling was I want to establish. What Ray did before Ghostbusters. The Ghostbusters story has been told so often. And I also went under the assumption that you guys had seen Hired Gun and know the story from that. And you may have heard our interview with my interview with Fran, in which case he kind of fills in some gaps on that story as well. So I purposely didn't want to dwell on that. I wanted to talk about his early stuff and so many of his collaborations and the great songs that he played on and wrote and everything. And so that's kind of where I wanted to focus uh, and come from on this interview. I'll tell you, I think maybe he forgot or wasn't expecting my call when I called. And it kind of threw me off a little bit because here I was was so excited to talk to Ray. He was one of the, the dream guests I've ever had. But I was nervous that I was calling him out of the blue and sort of wasting his time. So anyway, I, this is one of those I wouldn't mind doing over again because I, I would, I'd like to get in some further depth on some things. Um, but I was just, I got nervous because I was afraid I was, you know, keeping him from doing something he'd rather be doing. But anyway, this is a great chat. I hope you guys like it. Check our social media for the links to the Indiegogo campaign where you can donate and get there are some excellent perks if you want to be a part of the Who You Gonna Call documentary. All right. And we know because of hired gun that Fran Strine is great at what he does. Ray called, well, I called him while he was in his car in LA. For starters, I you know, other than uh, the in the last couple of years, I feel like you finally sort of stepped out from the shadows. Maybe this is just my own perspective, but there was that Greatest Hits program that was on ABC a couple summers ago. And then after hired yeah. gun, It was like suddenly Ray Parker Jr. is emerging, and maybe I'm the only one who feels that way. Were you sort of purposely keeping a low profile there for a long time?
1: Believe it or not, no. I'm going to say you're probably the only one thinking that. Uh, Oh, really? Four years ago, yeah, four years ago to the day. Yesterday, they declared Ray Parker Jr. Day in Hollywood, and they gave me a star on Hollywood Boulevard.
0: Nice. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and we had a huge party, like like TMZ type party. Nice. George Benson performed, Denise Williams Ooh. performed, Cheryl Lynn performed. And then before that, I had an unsung special on uh, TV one, which mm-hmm. was sort of like a biography story. So I there's love been that a lot show. of activity in the last ten years. Yeah.
0: Good. Okay. Okay, I. Uh, but I'm I just, glad that we.
1: I'm glad that we caught your attention at least with the TV shows and stuff, you know.
0: <laughs> well, absolutely. I, you know, as somebody who was a fan of yours before Ghostbusters, I've always.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, I, you know, I was happy for you that you scored a big hit and everything, but to me, it was always like, that's not who this guy is. In fact, I remember thinking, I was only like eleven. Or, <laughs> I was only eleven or twelve years old at the time, and I remember thinking. Yeah. I, I'm excited for this Ghostbusters thing to go away so that we can get back to focusing on Ray and what Ray's doing. And I was only a little kid thinking that way, you know, to me, yeah, you're still kind of, the yeah. like other woman guy and all that stuff. So, yeah. OK, yeah. well, good. I, I got the impression that maybe you were sort of um, keeping a low profile. And I think one of the things that uh, fuels my speculation on that is that there hasn't been a lot of music other than the i'm free album which i think came out in like 2006
1: the music thing you're right with the music thing i've been real lazy and we're going to fix that real soon here
0: good good and i wonder you know and
1: and by the way the new album is going to sound like the 80s and the 70s really not going to have any of that new stuff on it's going to sound just like you're going to think it's some outtakes of stuff i never finished recording
0: nice what's the timeline on that the timeline. I'm trying
1: to get it to my own studio to finish it. But the good news is, I got two really, really talented sons that have been in there recording their music.
0: Sweet. Well, good. What? Who are so your sons? Are they professional? I'm trying music? to get it all done. Good. Are your sons professional huh? musicians too?
1: Yes, they're one seventeen and one nineteen, and they should have their music out this summer.
0: Excellent. That's great. That's great. Yeah, when I um, when I first heard the "I'm Free" album. It was interesting because I know you've been married for a long time and have like four kids. And there's so many songs yeah. on that album that are about like adultery and AA and <laughs> midlife crisis. <laughs> Met her at the
2: car wash. She was half of my age or more. And with her was a young child. From a lover that she had before. I'm not quite sure how it came about But we started talking about the rent All she needed was a little love Said my money would be well spent Now people say sex is just sex That a kiss is just a kiss Um, I don't believe it Cause I ain't never had it done like this All my friends are laughing Saying it's a middle aged crisis They don't understand Give a damn, cause I never had it done like this. Way.
0: Did you? I've always wondered. I th- um, You know, we hear so little a lot from Ray. Of girls were hitting on me. Yeah,
1: they, they thought I was going to be single, so a lot of girls were hitting on me already, you know? <laughs> Sure.
0: <laughs> I just wondered if this was some, you know, bare-naked confessional coming out of Ray, talking about all these things that are Not happening it. in his life.
1: No, most of the time I write songs is because that's what my close friends are going through. Got it. I write about their story. Got it. I'm a little too shy to write about my own <laughs> a lot, you
0: know. Sure, sure. Okay, good. I've always been curious what the story behind that stuff was. Okay, so I am want to go back to the pre-Ghostbusters days because that's what I—that's the stuff I find more interesting anyway. As I've heard <laughs> you mention uh, on interviews and everything, I don't think people realize how much music for other people you played on, especially in the '70s. Yeah. First of all, are you on Marvin Gaye's "What's Going On"?
1: No. I was no. too young to do that. But okay. right after that, I'm on the album right after that. When he did, I, the first record I cut for Marvin Gaye was a political song called You're the Man. Talking. That record starts off with my guitar and I'm playing with Marvin all the way through Distant Lover," live Oakland album, I Want You album and many yes. other stuff and concerts and everything.
0: Yeah, that's what I thought. I was listening to I Want You again yeah. to get ready to talk to you and I can hear your sound, which I had never quite picked up yeah. on before. so obvious and i would i would have been
1: on i would have been on let us get it on only i missed that cuz i was playing on stevie wonder's talking book out
0: <laughs> by the way your <laughs> you on maybe your baby from talking book i mean that's that's just psychotic that guitar playing on that on that particular song is just nuts down
3: some kind of Come a baby, and let me hear Heart is lazing like a 5 on fire And I don't even give a cat I feel like the world is turning on me My dreams turn out I feel so out of play mm-hmm. Maybe your baby done made some other plans mm-hmm. Maybe your baby done made some other plans play ah!
0: How old then, were you? Yeah, that was a lot of fun back then. I, I bet. Eight, 18 years old. Really? Yeah, Man, so how did Stevie, where did you earn your bona fides? Where did somebody discover you and decide, I want this kid on my albums? Where did it start?
1: Well, it started with the Spinners when I was 14. I went on tour with the Spinners. That was my first Motown act I played with. By the time Stevie Wonder called me, he said, you don't have to audition. I heard you're the guy. Just do you want to come?
0: <laughs> oh, that's great! <laughs> wow. Now, talking, whoops, talking book is considered by some, by many, to be just a uh, you know a masterpiece, which it is. I never know whether when people are in studios recording these things and writing songs and everything, do you get a sense that you're working on something special, or especially you as a hired oh, guy absolutely. at the time? Really? So tell oh, me about absolutely.
3: it.
1: Absolutely, yeah. When I when I hung out with Stevie Wonder. Well, let me put it this way. When he cut Living for the City, I was there from the beginning when he wrote the song to the end of when he finished recording it. And that's wow. just something I will never forget. I mean, um, yeah. I saw him put the piano down first and layer the instruments and the whole thing. And it was just spectacular. And you knew it was going to be something special.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Wow. To, what's, uh, what's his process like? You know, I mean, is he, because I know he plays even a lot of the instruments on his albums, shockingly. So what, is he yeah. just in a studio yeah, kind of tinkering of with things? On that, okay.
1: On that, on that particular song, he played all the instruments.
0: Okay. Yeah, he's so great. He's so great. And then another one I wanted to ask you about was Michael Henderson. I really like That's, Michael Hen- Henderson, and there's that song, Yours Truly Indiscreetly. Is that you going nuts mm-hmm. on the compu- on the guitar at the end?
1: I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, most of the Michael stuff, I'm playing guitar on
3: a lot. Hey!
1: He's kind I of can't amaz- remember that song in particular. Okay, I think thinking "Take Me I'm Yours" in the nighttime. Uh, there's a whole bunch of them. Yeah, and we wrote the song together. Um, "Let Me Love You."
0: Yes. Okay. He's great, and that in the we, nighttime.
1: We, we grew up. We grew up. To, we grew up together. And by the way, he's the one that inspired me to make my own record. Really? Yeah, I heard Michael singing "Valentine's Love" and singing on the stuff with Norman Connors and. I'm just a couple of years younger than him. I said, Oh, I guess we gotta start singing. Now we gotta get on record though. <laughs> and so he was the one that inspired me to do that.
0: Well he uh he was an excellent uh, you know, bass player and probably a hired gun like you there for a long time too. And when you I'm guessing when you saw him branch out and go solo, you thought I could do, probably do this as well, right? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Did you notice now where were you on the on I know you played with Seals and Crofts, where are you with them?
1: Oh, I used to play on their record.
0: Really? So you're okay? I didn't. I never know if yeah. people play like if they appear on one song or if they're there as the you know the whole, the band for the entire recording process.
1: Uh, that album, I did the whole album. Okay. I remember the hit was uh, "Get Closer." Yeah, I love that song too. Oh, darling, so... if you're close to me, I'll be closer to you. I thought that was a great lyric. <laughs>
3: i
0: It is good. Did you ever find, um, and hopefully this isn't too insensitive a question, were you able to sort of cross genres and even races? I mean, was there, did you find yourself playing primarily with black artists or was it across the board? No one really cared back then.
1: Uh, no one really cared. I played everything. I played with Freddie Hubbard, Herbie Hancock, Dizzy Gillespie. But then uh, then again, I made records for Ethel Merman,
3: no,
1: Carpenter, Tom Jones, Engelberg, Humperdinck. i mean, I played Diana Ross, Marvin Gaye. It didn't matter. I did everything. Rolling Stones—I mean, I did rock and roll records. I did everything. Even Van Morrison, which didn't turn out so well.
0: Tell, you played with Van Morrison. Tell me about that.
1: Well, that's going to be in the book. But okay. I will say this: he thought I was a spy when I first showed up in England, a spy for Warner Brothers. I don't know how you thought that. But he—but he ended up. Long make it long story short, he ended up in my bedroom at three thirty in the morning staring at me while i had no clothes on i had no clue as to why he was standing there and didn't see him come in the room
0: what oh my
1: gosh
0: i mean he's i've always heard he's kind of a mad genius but it sounds like he's uh more mad than maybe some of us even realize that's crazy Yeah, yeah yeah pretty
1: mad pretty crazy guy
0: okay so what was the um, you know what was your life like back then as a as a session musician? It sounds like you mentioned Van Morrison in England. I had that hadn't occurred to me. Are you just flying all over the world, doing your thing on people's albums?
1: Oh, absolutely! I did an album uh, that seems to be really, really long lasting for a guy named Lucio Bautista. and I guess he was like the Michael Jackson of uh, Italy.
3: I'm not a E bere. più facile è respirare basta guardarci poi avvicinarsi un po'
1: It was a big TV show in Italy that was celebrating his 10-year anniversary. I guess since he passed, and believe it or not, they flew me first class all the way to England. I mean, excuse me, to Italy, put me in a hotel limousine, touring me around, and all they wanted me to do was play one guitar lick on the TV show that I got played on the record.
0: <laughs> Those were the days when there was just cash yeah. everywhere to pay for that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, oh, man. one guitar lick.
0: Okay. And then uh, I didn't know until Hired Gun that you had written You Make Me Feel Like Dancing by uh, Leo Sarah. Yeah, How did that happen? Well, I was in the studio
1: with Leo. I did all his records and all of the records for Richard Perry. And Leo's the nicest guy in the world, but the producer did not give me credit on the song. So my name Ooh. is not on his writer or anything, but everybody knew I wrote the song. So Clyde Davis called me up behind that and offered me a deal if I take Jack and Jill away from the producer and give it to him.
0: No way. So did you, have you never gotten, I mean, I hope this isn't too insensitive. Have you never gotten paid on You Make Me Feel Like Dancing?
1: Not only have I never gotten paid, I didn't get my Grammy, which is one song of the year, and I don't have any, I didn't get any credit either.
0: Ouch. Oh, that's not right.
1: And not not only did I write the song, but I put the band together too, and it's me playing on it.
0: Really? Oh, Oh, that's not fair. Oh, man. How do you bounce back from something like that? At the time, are you just like, "Well, that's that's the business that I'm in; and it's the way it goes." No,
1: at the time, I was, at the time, I was majorly depressed.
0: I bet. Oh yeah, man, that
1: that wasn't sitting well with me at all. But the good news is, I ended up with my own record deal, and I made a whole
0: lot more hits. Sure, sure. So is that when you're are you getting antsy as a session musician and thinking I got to put a band together and do my own thing, or is like you mentioned, Clive Davis. Is somebody encouraging you to step out in front? How how did it go from you well, being I the session always, to radio?
1: I always wanted to do my own thing. I actually had a, a record deal on A and M that I got kicked off of because I didn't have nothing great
3: to do. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: so I was always well, I was always working in that direction ever since I met Stevie Wonder. I was trying to write songs and you know do something. It just sure. took me a couple of years to get it together.
0: Okay. And how did radio come together? How did you how did you pick those guys?
1: Well, those that I had recorded one of my first record deals. I was recording with my brother's band, and a, lot, a couple of those guys were in my brother's band along with some other friends of mine here. So we just put together a bunch of my friends and got going.
0: Okay, okay, such good stuff. And right out of the gate, you get Jack and Jill, and that's a huge hit. Now, what's that like? I mean, paint me a picture if you don't mind of what that is like when you go from being the behind the scenes guy that everyone loves and calls to being the front man of a really successful group. How does your life change? Um, you know, from being majorly. In fact, I bet
1: the most important record of my life, uh, or at least that I can remember, was Jack and Jill. So that took me from being just a side player to being the lead player. And after that, from that day forward, you know, when it's a job to be done, you call yourself for the job. Mm-hmm. And you can hire yourself, which leads you, let's talk about the hired gun film. No longer was I a hired gun
0: after right. that. Right, right. Yeah. Or
1: at least I could say I wasn't dependent on being a hired gun after that.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. And uh, your stuff back then, that well, all of it was great, but that radio stuff was especially good. What made you feel like you needed to step away from radio? Um, you were fronting the band. Your name
1: was on Yeah, but first of all, don't feel like I felt like I had to step away from radio. Guys in the band kept leaving, or mm. the, the personnel kept changing. And Clive Davis said he's selling me, so he wanted to put my name out front.
0: Okay.
1: It really wasn't me. It really wasn't me pushing for it. It was more Clive Davis because he didn't. He didn't really like the idea of radio in the first place. He just wanted the first album to be just me.
0: Ah. Uh, okay. Okay. Was there a comfort uh, level to being in a band first before stepping out completely by yourself? Was there sort of a, you know, we're sort of still a team or a tribe here, and that's... Uh, It's
1: even more so than that. I grew up as a musician playing in bands, so I just felt comfortable with a band. I thought the idea of having a band was the cool idea. It had never really occurred to me to just make the record under my name, period. Okay. Until later. Yeah. Then I got comfortable with that, but my original if somebody had asked me at 15 years old what's the what do you call success would be having a hit band have you know putting a band together having your band explode
0: that's where it's at okay okay so then um a woman needs love that becomes a huge hit as well a woman needs a love just like you
2: Times have changed from yesterday. No longer will those old double standards be accepted by the women of today. So when you think you're fooling her, she just might be fooling.
0: And that by, by that point, I think you're Ray Parker Jr. and radio. Um, that's probably right. also got to continue to sort of feed this uh, this sense of like, maybe the band is less interested because, or they're leaving because they sense that you're the star. Other people are sensing you're the star. Is that kind of what's happening behind the scenes a little bit?
1: No, no it was just all money.
0: <laughs> oh, really? Oh, man. That's kind of the answer to everything, <laughs> isn't first- it?
1: That's the answer to everything. I mean, I started a group. I wanted to split everything equally amongst the guys. Nobody wanted equal pay. They said they wanted cash, mm. and they wanted me to take the risk. Mm. Nobody wanted to sign the record deal. They wanted me to take all the risks. So I took all the risks, and then we hit the jackpot, and everybody was like, well, we're not getting all the money. I said, you said you didn't want the money. You wanted a flat salary. Mm-hmm. So I borrowed money to pay everybody a flat salary.
0: Wow. Oh, that's a bummer! And I'm sure you know you you can't you can't
1: go to Vegas and when the guy hits all sevens in the slot machine, then say, "Oh, I'll put one of my quarters in." Don't work like that. <laughs>
0: that is very true.
1: You got to have your quarter in before the slot machine hits.
0: As are you friendly at all with those guys? Do you keep in touch with them or anything like that? I'm
1: very friendly. Well, well we've lost two of them, and yeah. one the third one of the third ones is in the hospital. But yeah, I'm very friendly. Okay. With, with all of them. In fact, the other lead singer guy, I'm uh, going to Japan in a couple of weeks, he's going with me.
0: Oh, good. So then, uh, Woman Out of Control, that is a great album too, but you being such a prominent and respected guitar player, going in this more kind of new wave synth, a lot of you know keyboards and synthesizer direction, what made you decide you wanted to do that? Hey gang, let's break in for a little bidness. Uh, let's start with some reviews. We got a couple. Um, Thank you, everybody. Uh, we got one on iTunes, which is great. That's the Those are the big ones. This is Surly Almighty. I have no idea who that is. Maybe I know who you are and that's your name and your weird name and I don't know it. But uh, Five Stars asks the questions most music interviewers won't. Consistently great podcast that brings in a wide variety of artists and gets them to speak not only of the music they've made, but also what happened with the money. Quote, can you live off the royalties of of song title, unquote, is a frequent question asked. Yep. A deep dive that's always a compelling listen. Thank you, Surly Almighty. That's a great one. Now, here's another one. This was on Facebook. (laughs) I love this. James Milton. I don't think I know James. Hi, James. Thank you. Four stars, not five, four. It will get five stars when you interview Vernon Reed. I think that's genius. So let me tell you, I uh, have reached out to Living Color maybe twice. I will admit I've usually gone after Corey Glover, the lead singer. I think his story, I'm a little more interested in his because he did some acting. And it seems to me if you're the musician, if you're someone like Vernon Reed, during your downtime, you'd probably still be able to like play on other people's albums. Same with Will Calhoun or Doug Wimbish, any of the other guys in the band. Ideally, I would love to talk to the original bassist, Muzz Skillings. That would be like a holy grail type get. Uh, I don't know how to find him or if that's even possible. But thank you for the four stars. I will promise you that I will continue to try to get Corey. And if Corey never comes around, then I'll go for Vernon. And if Vernon doesn't come around, I'll go for one of the other guys. Now let me give you some shares we've had a lot the last two weeks have been really good for us the steve kilp well the last three actually brian howe was great steve kilby was really great and mike linda was even better um and he got behind his which just shows just goes to show that if you if our guests promote their episodes people find us and then thankfully I think they go back into the archive sometimes I mean I can see it when they do it so Brian shared his and Mike shared his but that's it for lately okay so shares and uh, I think I may have forgotten some people with Steve Kilby too and I I forgive me if I do guys what happens is I see a little thing there that says like 20 shares on my Facebook post but then it, it won't show you all 20. It will show you some, and then at the bottom it says, due to privacy concerns, we've had to hid the, hide the rest or something like that. So there's I don't, I don't know how to make it so that I can really get accurate information, but this is what I have. Grown Up Rock, Sonny Poonie, Jed Bodwin, love Jed, Bud Verge, Carrie Carlson, Adrian Perks, hope I'm saying that right, uh, Mike Lindup, Jason Blusky, Curious World Podcast, our buddy Vandal, uh, Smidge Kurlbaum of the Gunk Podcast Love Smidge I was on the Gunk po- Podcast a few months ago that was fun uh, Julie just someone retweeted it named Julie thank you Julie Kimberly Grover Save Rock and Metal Jason Simons Nigel Walters and I See Greg so thanks all of you for sharing. We couldn't do this without you. I'm so grateful for all of your uh, that you're fans, that you listen, that you contribute, that you support us. I'm so thankful. Now, um, as you guys know, I'm pretty inundated with um, episodes that are already in the can, that I'm working on, your older requests. So I'm not exactly taking requests right now, but I have had a couple that I thought... Uh, I would at least pass on to you because there's kind of interesting stories attached to these. Uh, Jeff Young recommended anyone related to the Alan Parsons project, which I think is great. Cause I talked about Alan Parsons with uh Burley Drummond recently from Ambrosia. So I was going to tell you guys a story, uh, the one and only time, and there shouldn't actually have ever been even one time, but there was that I contacted somebody to come on the podcast who turned out to be dead was when I contacted former Alan Parsons vocalist, Eric Wolfson. So I grew, you know, I love those old uh, Alan Parsons songs like Don't Answer Me and stuff. And that voice, Eric's voice is just so kind of haunting and pretty. And so I thought, that would be perfect. Let's find Eric Wolfson. And I he has a website, and it looks very up-to-date and everything. And so I click the contact button, and I send a message. I'd love it if you'd come on my podcast. And I think the next day, I get an email from, I believe it was his daughter, saying, actually, Eric passed away like nine years ago. Uh, she was so nice. But I would be willing to come on. And talk about Eric if you ever wanted to. Now, that was like two years ago, two and a half years ago. So, at the time, I was like, oh, I don't really want to start talking about dead people. Um, and uh, But as you know, I'm sort of starting to change my opinion about that. So, maybe I'll go back to her at some point. We can talk about Eric Wolfson. I don't know if you guys would even care. I just thought that would be an interesting one. Also, Brian Morris, who sends me a lot of requests sent me what's kind of like a summary email of like the last, you know, bunch of people he's requested. So I'll read these off to you again, just in case you got, because a lot of these are names I hear a lot. Allison Moyer, that would be great. I don't know why I haven't gone for Allison yet. I get a lot of requests for her. I should. She put out a new album last year, which sometimes I use as a reason to contact somebody. And then sometimes I see it as a deterrent, like, oh, they're too busy doing big time you know, media and publicity, they wouldn't want to come on my little show. They're busy. So I guess I leaned on that side of that fence. Maybe I shouldn't. Martin Fry of ABC. I've gotten multiple, multiple requests from Martin Fry. I've tried him a couple of times. I've never heard back. However, as I've mentioned before, I'm working on other members of ABC. Both Mark White and David Palmer have both agreed to come on the show, but it was a while ago and I've tried following up with them and never heard back. Uh, Mark White, I think, especially would be a really interesting get if you ever saw the bands reunited episode from VH1. So I'm holding out hope that I can get Mark White. We'll see. Uh, someone from NXS. Let me tell you about that. Uh, I've tried, I have never heard back. I've talked to people. There's going to be an episode coming up next month that relates to NXS. And that person filled me in a little bit. It's apparently very difficult to land interviews with those guys. From what I've heard, I don't know if this is true or not. From what I've heard, uh, the estate of Michael Hutchins, the lawyer whose name I can't remember right now, is apparent. He holds a very tight grip on what messaging goes out there about Michael. And so the other guys, like the Ferris brothers and stuff, uh, there's a whole, like, chain, there's a whole rigmarole here that you have to go through in order to get kind of interviews approved. Uh, because I've gone after Andy Ferris or Andrew, I've gone after John Ferris, I've gone after Kurt Pengilly, um, and it's never come about. And I don't know that it ever will, unless we're like Mark Maron someday, because I I guess there's just... Not a lot that those guys can say or do. Dave Stewart from the Eurythmics. I've actually been thinking about him a lot lately. I think that's a really good idea. Danny Wilde from the Rembrandts. That's a good one. I've never paid, you know, I know the Rembrandt songs, and I know that they go back in uh, Chicago power pop lore, but I've never um, really sought them out. Maybe I should. There's probably a story there. Gary Clark from Danny Wilson uh of the mary's prayer song i love that song and i i either went after him or almost went after him a while ago because martin brammer of the cane gang who was an early guest of ours is friends with and works with gary clark and i think he put in a good word for me and i followed up and nothing ever happened i don't remember exactly i should try that one again and then last but not least he's asked for eddie mcdonald of the alarm many times And I have reached out to Eddie McDonald many times and never heard back, but 10 minutes ago, and this is Monday night, uh, I finally heard back from Eddie McDonald and he said yes. So we will finally be hearing from Eddie McDonald of The Alarm. I love The Alarm. Um, I would love to talk to Mike Peters. He's one of those people I get the feeling he gets interviewed a lot. Uh, He's always a bright, shining light. He's the best, but I Wondered if maybe it'd be more interesting to talk to one of the other guys, so I'm anxious to talk to Eddie McDonald. We will uh, try and work that in. Oh, and last but not least, I want to give you a quick no. So I think I'd mentioned to some people that I've heard I got a lot of good feedback from the Thomas Stephen Thomas Erlewine, Tom Erlewine of AllMusic.com interview. I love those. So I've been trying to put together more like that, and I've reached out to Stephen Hayden. Uh, Hopefully you guys know who that is. Rock critic, host of the Celebration Rock podcast. I pinged him back in like October, September, October and said, hey, would you come on my podcast? He said, yes, send me an email and we'll set it up. This was through Twitter. Emailed him, never heard anything. Emailed again, never heard anything. Pinged him on Twitter a couple more times. Never heard anything. Emailed him again about a week or two ago said, hey, you told me to email you, and I have, and maybe this isn't the right way, maybe I got the wrong address, I don't know, I'm sorry to bother you, you said you'd come on, I'm just trying to take you at your word. Uh, He wrote back and said, John, I've been getting all of your emails, and I'm just really busy right now, and so if and when I can do this, I will let you know which to me basically means I'm too busy and I'm never going to come around. So we'll see. We'll see. Fran Stryan came around with Ray Parker Jr., which, uh, you know, I never think they're actually going to do it, but Fran did it. So maybe Stephen Hyden will come back too. But apparently he's too busy, even though he said he'd do it one time. So that's the deal. Let's get back to Ray.
1: I'm just experimenting probably. Oh, really? Whatever I was going through.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. You still like, had,
1: even, at, even on free album I did, it was, I was playing a nylon string guitar and a lot of acoustic guitar, and I just recorded a bunch of songs and thought, well, what are they just sitting here for? I should put them out, <laughs> which is really what I'm doing now, by the way. Really? Now I got a bunch of funky, it's more funky songs. It's more uh, radio sounding nice. music I'm doing now. And I've almost got a good collection of that, so I'm thinking, okay, well, it's time to put it out. You
0: know? Okay. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. Um, all right, so yeah. let's let's... Let's talk about the Go- Ghostbusters stuff a little
2: bit. Something strange in your neighborhood.
0: I feel like this story has been told to death, so I don't want to dwell on it for too long. But um, in Hired Gun, the documentary, you mentioned about sort of... Why
1: not? We could do it again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I wish. Oh, man, that'd be great. (laughs) Um, You mentioned that being sort of invited to write the song was sort of like winning the lottery. Because it sounds like you were the only one at the time who could come up with a song that actually had the word Ghostbusters in it. Cause that's what Ivan Reitman wanted. Is that right?
1: That's exactly what he wanted. And I guess they had hired a whole bunch of slew of people to do it. And just nobody came up with a song that, that fitted what he wanted. And I can I, as soon as I had a meeting with him, I actually left the meeting early and I had the idea for the song in my head. So I wanted to go and, you know, put it down.
0: Mm-hmm. Gosh, do you know how, I mean, were you like the 30th choice? Who are some of the other people that couldn't, Come up with this song.
1: I have no idea. But really? they spent a whole year trying to
0: get people. Oh, okay. I know that much. Wow. I uh, I had. So Martin... I was
1: way. I was at the end of the process. I bet. <laughs> I bet.
0: I had Martin Page on here a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, he loved was... Martin Page. He played some of those spooky keyboard lines. For he me. did. That's what we talked about. He was yes. telling a story. Him he and
1: looked... his friend. Yeah. Him and his friend Brian. Yep. And Fairweather. And let me tell you, I was so sleepy and so tired. That I, those two, we were working on some other songs together. I just, because I trust those two. They're very talented. I looked at those two guys and I said, here, here's what I'm working on. Put some stuff on it.
0: Really? <laughs> oh. So yeah. is, is there others? I wasn't st- even around
1: to tell them what to play. I just right. did do it. Put something on here.
0: <laughs> so are they, did you work with them on songs other than Ghostbusters? Oh, yeah. We were
1: working on some some
0: records for them. Oh. The oh, cool. Okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Nice. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. He, was, uh, he told me a story. He had just come to L.A. and he was in a diner. Right. And um, outside the diner window is one of those billboards with the red, you know, anti <laughs> right. thing going on. And no one knows what they are. And the guy he's having lunch with says, mm-hmm. you see that billboard out there? We're trying to write a song for that mm-hmm. movie. Would you be willing to come yeah. play on it? And then he shows up and plays right. with you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. Wow. Okay, now, obviously, your career, unfortunately, has been sort of overshadowed by that song. Um, let's talk for a minute about Huey Lewis. You know, I
1: don't, I, don't know if I don't know if it's unfortunate or not. Really? I, I look at that song as the biggest blessing anybody
0: could ever have. Yeah.
1: That song has made me a hero with my kids.
0: Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, very true. Very no matter true. what
1: age they are, with all kids, no matter what age they are, and yeah. the happiness I see on their face. There's no way I can't not like that song or that's feel true. jaded by the song. It's just wonderful.
0: That's true. I have three kids, uh, 10, 9, and 5, and I told all of them mm-hmm. that I was talking to you. And all three of them, of course, know who you are because of that song. Well, you know, my five-year-old. That's why
1: it's so great. <laughs> that's true. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the song's 30 something years old, and your five-year- old is just getting to the planet and he likes schoolbook. I mean it's just no way I can't like that. It's just impossible not to like it.
0: Good point, good point. I do fear though that people don't know the rest of what Ray Parker Jr. has done that's why I try to go back into the catalog because we're going to sprinkle right. snippets of a lot of these songs well, forget, into here
1: I'm making that I'm making that friend's job to fix that.
0: Yeah, that's very true. And we're going to talk about that documentary in just a minute. Um, Yes, I'm excited that that's coming out. So, um, okay, let's talk about Huey Lewis in the news briefly. Um, From what I understand, when I interviewed Fran, you purposely, I believe, don't know the details of it all because you don't want to know because if you did, then you'd have to talk about it. Is that about right?
1: Well, no, it's not not really true. I don't I don't it's not that I didn't want to know I just didn't care Uh. there were so many lawsuits at the time by the way people focus on that one I'm not sure why probably because he was popular in America but there was lawsuits in other countries I mean there there were people everywhere yeah and and the 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 thing was it's my song I wrote it it still says I wrote it Mm -hmm. and I was named in the lawsuit Mm -hmm. the only thing I know about it so I had to sign off the, the other two guys to settle whatever they were doing. But for some reason, they focused more on me than the picture company, but it was really not about me.
0: Oh, interesting. That's so true. Now, the
1: part, the, part the, the clever part that you're talking about is there is a gag rule that says nobody talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. And so my lawyer asked me, did I want to know what the results were of the whole thing? And I said, <laughs> <laughs> not as, I don't particularly care. Yeah. As as if it don't cost me no money, what do I care? right? And so he looked at me and says, well, okay, well, I won't tell you. And that way, I know that you'll never be able to publicly say anything about this. Perfect. Because you don't know nothing.
0: Perfect solution. Yeah. Okay.
1: So even even today, it's, it's, this is I still don't know anything about it. The only thing I know is somebody must have given him some money. I don't think it was my money, but he said something on VH1 one time. Mm-hmm. You know when they had to the wear They now show, and he said something about they had to pay. So yeah. what ended up happening is I sued him and I won.
0: Ooh, I don't think anyone knows that. Interesting. Yeah,
1: he went. Well, no, it was it was it was written in the paper. But uh, it it yeah, he's he. I think he was on Pyramid or one of the TV shows, and he said he better keep his mouth closed. Uh, he got sued. Okay. But he actually, I actually sued him and won. Wow. So he had to to pay me. <laughs> okay.
0: Wow. See that's I mean in, you know, it's sort of a I don't know if urban legends is the right word, but it's one of those fairy tales that gets told a lot, but I don't think anyone knows that side yeah. of it. So when <laughs> you don't have to he got a lump sum at one time, right? He he's not continuously getting no a percent. Idea. Okay. I
1: have, right. I, have, I have no idea. I heard somebody insinuate that he gets some kind of continuous something, but all I know it has nothing to do with me. He okay. doesn't have any continuous for me. Got it. I don't pay him any money. I mean, okay. I don't do, I don't know. There's nothing. I don't know anything about it. So I don't know, know what they did with him. I don't know what their deal was. I have no idea. Got it. And okay. don't care. Good. But the the deal for me to sign off was nobody talks about me anymore. I don't want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when I heard somebody talk about me, it wasn't even the specifics. Just the mere fact that he started talking about me again, you know, I was able to, to put in a lawsuit and I get paid. Got it.
0: Okay. All right. Which, Um,
1: again, I don't really care about the money or any of that stuff. The whole point was everybody's supposed to stop talking about it.
0: Got it. Okay. Well, I'll stop talking about it, too, then. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, right? um, well it's, just, it's one of those things that that for some reason the public made it bigger than it was right. and i never knew anything about it i still don't know anything about it i, mm. I only know what he said on tv because he was talking about it, Got it. okay <laughs> i learned more that day than i ever learned you know? right right um and by the way i like hughie lewis in the news it's, i like sure. their music you know i sure. like them I, I wish i could i never met him i think we were in germany one time and i was going to invite him out to dinner and that never happened, but I mean, you know, I, I think it's too bad that things turned out like they did. Because maybe I'll never meet them or never be friends with them, and it's probably too bad. Who knows? We might have written a gross, we may, we may have been able to write a song together, yeah, so, and do something great.
0: Yeah, you two should go on tour together. That would just blow everybody's yeah. minds. You know what I mean? Yeah, that would. Yeah, <laughs> that'd, that'd be a great show. let see what happens. Right? It yeah. would. It'd yeah. be huge. I'll promote it. Yeah. I'll help promote that. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: There you go. There you go.
0: Okay. So but I I'm, think
1: it's too bad that he took it whatever way he took it because I really never did anything to, you know, against him or for him or whatever. And I think his problem was with the film company. So I, I think that's just too bad.
0: You know? Okay. Okay. So I want to talk about after that. So Sex and the Single Man yeah. comes out a couple years later, a year or so later. And I remember so well being in the car. Co- my mom is driving me and my friends home from something. And uh, – mm-hmm and uh girls are more fun is my buddy dave and i's favorite song at the time and it comes on the radio and the whole car stops and we all sing the song and it's just this moment of like yes the best our favorite song with our friends in the car with my mom always loved that song and that album, but I uh, I don't know if it was after, I'm assuming after Ghostbusters, there are huge expectations placed on you in terms of selling product and moving albums. Did that album do what it was supposed to do?
1: Well, that was a departure album because I was leaving the label, so they didn't mm-hmm. promote it as hard as some of the others because they are like, well, he's at the end of it. So I'm going to say, I don't think it did what it was supposed to do, but uh, the video was hysterical because I actually had a dress and some stockings at the video. And what I what I most remember about that record is Miles Davis was in my studio recording an album. What? And that video came on, and he looked at me. He says, "Boy, Ray, you sure got some pretty legs." <laughs> <laughs> so that was just hysterical. i like,
0: "Oh my gosh,
1: where are we with this?" You know? <laughs> no way. So that was just, you know, that was just the funniest. You know? yeah. just the funniest thing.
0: Speaking of. Um... Speaking of Miles Davis, uh, I had Randy Hall on here, who is a mutual friend. He's yeah. a friend of yours. Yeah, he says big hello. I had yeah, I, I, yeah, he and I went and Joe Esposito went to dinner over Thanksgiving weekend down in Vegas. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, just wanted to say hello. So um,
1: yeah, Randy was was my big artist. We had signed to MCA.
0: Now why do you why are you leaving the label? If you um, is Ghostbusters not on that same label label?
1: I had already left the label Arista before Ghostbusters. Oh, okay. And that was a misunderstanding too. A lot of people say why are you leaving? But it wasn't really really even the label. I think it was a day somebody caught Clive on a bad day and he wanted to renegotiate a Dionne Warwick record or something <laughs> like that. Something I mean, it was something that didn't really make a lot of sense. And next thing I know, I had signed a deal with somebody else because they had offered me a lot more money. Then he offered me the money at the end of the deal. Next thing, I was on another label. But I still stayed really good friends with Clive, and I'd always go by and see him all the time. But I never really wanted to leave in the first place.
0: Yeah. That just seems silly to me that after you've just had this massive success, you're planning on leaving the label, and you kind of give them one more album before you leave. I would think people would be fighting to have you stay at that point.
1: Yeah, well, the one more record I gave him after I left was Ghostbusters.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. I got the timeline mixed up. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So, I'm, you know, I'm curious about something. When it comes to having a success like Ghostbusters, is the money a de-incentivizer? I mean, you mentioned earlier at the beginning of our conversation about having been a little lazy. You can afford to do that because of Ghostbusters. Do you find that? I mean you're probably still creative in your own way in maybe your home studio, but the motivation to get out there and tour and write new music and put out albums, does that get lowered when you've had a success like Ghostbusters?
1: Well, first of all, again, I hate to correct you, but you're wrong again.
0: Oh, okay, good. No, correct me. (laughs) That's fine.
1: My mom and and dad got sick when I was 28. Hmm. And I retired actually a year or so before Ghostbusters.
0: Oh, see, I didn't know that. Okay.
1: Yeah, so I had had... Six, I think six or seven gold and platinum albums in a row where I wrote all the songs. And I'm one of these guys that saves most of his money. So I was a pretty wealthy guy by 28 years old. I didn't have to worry about money anymore. And I, was, I would have been able to take care of myself really, really well from then on. Wow. And then later that year, a group called A New Edition wanted to record an old song I wrote called Mr. Telephone Man. Yeah,
3: classic.
1: at the time the combination of that song and then i wrote ghostbusters that same week while i was in town oh. so that was, so those wow. were both my bonus songs but i was well and fine and good long before that
0: huh i had no idea so you had put in a good like 10 or 15 years by that point and just thought i don't need oh, yeah. to oh, i'm absolutely. good at this point okay. Yeah. okay yeah
1: i can go hang out with my mom and dad in detroit and and remember, before Ghostbusters, I signed a huge deal with Geffen that would have brought me—you know—just the money from that deal alone. I could have retired.
0: Oh man, those were the days. And so <laughs> there's
1: no there's no lack of retirement or anything to to because of money. No. By the way, for me, music was never is never money anyway. I played music because I love the music. Sure. And a true musician plays the music because we love the music, and we hope that we make enough money. Mm-hmm. to not have to get a job, so we have to stop playing music. Right, right. right. <laughs> so that's the real truth of the matter. Okay. So once you get enough money to play your music, every musician is already happy to to the umpteenth degree. So all I want to do is go back home then and take care of my parents.
0: Okay. Well, and and you have the financial freedom to do that based on your hard work and, and success. financial freedom to do that. Yeah. Good. Okay. And
1: so then when Mr. Telephone Man came, and then when Ghostbusters came, that's real, super. Now we talk about a lot of gravy on the face yeah, now.
0: Got it. Okay. I had not I was not aware of the timeline. That's man, what a bonus.
1: I live I lived in Beverly Hills next to Frank Sinatra years before I cut Ghostbusters.
0: No way. Ah, <laughs> that is incredible. Good for you, Ray. Yeah like that four years.
1: Four years before I cut Ghostbusters, I was living next door to Frank Sinatra.
0: That is nuts. Good for you, man. Yeah. Um, Okay So only a couple more albums You know Over the next few years Uh, I really like She Needs to Get Some Off your last Well last album Oh yeah Yeah (laughs) Yeah
3: Pop up on the screen when your girl is up tight. She needs what I gotta give, and what I gotta give is positive. Now, watch your wild I'm on, honey. Tis, test what's the matter? Please don't cry. I have time. We can chatter. Oh, your man,
0: don't understand that you need affection. All you want is security and protection. Man, oh, man, I want to know. Good stuff. You um, yeah, that period,
1: when you see that period, there's a period in time where I don't make any records. And that's towards the end of it. And reason being is, again, my mom and dad were passing. Okay. And, and it was just not a happy time. I yeah. mean, every song I wrote, I listen. I listened to the to the music I wrote then, not even the ones on the records, but some of the ones I didn't release and other stuff. The, everything is too slow. <laughs> really? It's just that period of yeah. It's that period in life where I'm, I'm I was unhappy. My parents yeah. were gone. Yeah. I just was. It was just I could not get going. I listened to the music now and be like, okay, that's that period. I, I know exactly what's happening
0: there. <laughs> Wow, these markations in our lives, that's really interesting. Okay. So it uh yeah. you kind of faded away. Did was the you talk about being a true musician still having that spark? I imagine you're still playing on the guitar, you just don't feel motivated to put anything out there or collaborate with anybody? Exactly. Okay.
1: Exactly. In fact, for a while I didn't even tour for for years. And a friend of mine, Tom Scott, took me to Japan. Mm-hmm. I think it was 19 98. Hmm. So I don't think I played anything from 91 to 98. But it was 1998. He took me to Japan, and that kind of spark lit lit my spark again. Uh-huh. I had so much fun with him. I had to admit, my my fingers were killing me. I hadn't played the guitar in so long, and my fingers were hurt. I, I remember that part. <laughs> All the like, calluses. my <laughs> right. Yeah, we're playing like you know, we're playing like more than one show, and man, my fingers were killing me.
0: Yeah. And that's
1: and I remember telling him at that moment. I said, you know, you guys can laugh at me now, but this I'll never be this out of shape again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was really, literally out of shape, just out of shape. I believe just it couldn't hang, you
0: know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, great. I don't think
1: the public knew, but it didn't matter. I knew.
0: Sure. Okay, so tell me then. Let's talk about this documentary. That um, there's, from what I understand, the there is a, a an IndieGoGo funding crowdfunding campaign that. Started, I think, yesterday, which was what mm-hmm. March sixth, I think, and um, yeah. So what's going on? And
1: March sixth is Ray Day in LA, by the way. Is it
0: really? Oh, that's great. Yes,
1: that's the day I got my star in Hollywood Boulevard. Perfect. So oh, that's, that's right. Actual, you mentioned technically, that. Ray Parker
0: Junior. Day in Hollywood. Yeah, it's amazing. So tell me about the why. Why now? Are it, were you waiting for someone to come along to kind of tell your story no. to, or what's the nope. uh,
1: what happened? You no, know, we just he just walked. We just walked into a brick wall, and it was there. <laughs> when we hit it, it was there. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: had no idea who Fran was. I mean, we just started working on the film, and we got to know each other. We were talking about different stories while you flying to to uh, Australia on an eighteen hour flight. So you know, just just
0: happened. Yeah. Had anyone ever approached you before that, other than TV One and Unsung? Had anyone ever approached you about making a documentary about your life?
1: Uh, no, some people have talked about it, but they hadn't got fired. but this, this one, this time we're doing it.
0: Good. Okay. And what are the parameters? I mean, how much, uh, are you at, I don't know much about the crowdfunding world. Are you at Liberty to say how much you're hoping to raise? Or... Okay. I, I don't know
1: anything about it. I don't know. How about this? I know the Z blessing, you know, <laughs> all this stuff is new to me. I'm like, I'm like a website where people send in and you make the film. I said, are you sure you want to do it? Right. I mean, but he says, that's how it's going. So I'm learning as we go along. I don't know anything about it.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, I'll put uh, information on our website and Facebook and social media and all that stuff so people can donate if they yeah, want. Yeah.
1: The only thing the only thing I know about is I have a son who's starting an internet business, and he used the same sites. He mm-hmm. says, oh, yeah, Dad, that works. That's so-and-so. So he was explaining to me what it was, because I'm sitting here like, what do you mean you do that? I don't understand what you guys are talking about Yeah.
0: Right. Oh, that's great. Okay. Well, hopefully, they're very I'm soon. From the old
1: school. I'm from the old school, like you. I mean, you gotta make your money, you pay it. I mean, you know. That's
0: right. I know. Seems <laughs> all, weird. All the new stuff is new to me. Yeah. Yeah. It sure does. Um, Okay. So I want to know. I want to know when you look back on your career. Number one, I always ask people two of the same questions. One, if you have any regrets mm-hmm. about a decision you made somewhere along the line that maybe you wish you hadn't, or things would have bounced a little differently if you hadn't and then i want to know what your tasties memories are and one thing i i mean this book and this documentary i have a feeling your brain is full of things like van morrison that would blow our minds but give me a couple oh, okay. highlights give me a couple highlights well a couple of highlights
1: for me when somebody says what do you look back on cherish a
0: lot
1: i i the stevie wonder period is just monumental that's yeah. just it's like somebody took my head and turned it in the other direction and said and kicked me over that way. Go that way. Don't go this way. <laughs> I mean, it's just really. It. It's the only way I can describe. it. It's just a life changing moment. Like you know, just totally different. Yeah. Uh, working with Barry White and Gene Page, those those years were just unbelievable years that were different too. When somebody says regrets, uh, I regret. I, I, I sort of regret not having. I mean, I regret having kids outside of marriage. Mm. You know. So it just would have been easier if all my kids had just lived with me from day one. They all end up living with me anyway., sure. but it took some some doing, okay, and that and some of that was painful. Yeah. That was about the only painful parts of my life. I, could, I think it slowed down the production of music, too,
0: okay. interesting. Was there ever any kind of like a drug problem or any sort of living life a little too no, hot? okay
1: no no, no. The, the, that's a, that's one of the blessings that I have. And people always ask me that question. There's never time I was an alcoholic or, or drink even a little bit, or mm-hmm. I never had any of those kind of problems. Zero. Okay. And there was never a money problem, too. I've never been in debt on anything. You know, my parents always taught me well. I've never had credit card debt, never had bought houses too big that I couldn't afford. So I, I managed everything pretty well.
0: Okay. Okay just a couple
1: just a couple of girls i got too excited about
0: (laughs) (laughs) well it's very apparent people
1: say we'll forgive you
3: for that of course
0: (laughs) it's apparent in your music when i was going back because i like i said i've been a fan since way before ghostbusters and uh i've been going back listening to a lot of your music lately and the word that keeps coming to mind is rascal that's kind of how i view you you're like a rascal you know because it's sexy but it's fun it's meant in fun too you know it's a
1: and and I'm the, I'm the clean kid. I've never been like a roughneck, like a gangster, and no, I'm none of that stuff. Yeah, nice clean kid. But you know, every a little mischievous.
0: Yeah. Okay, that's that's it. Yeah, you got like a twinkle in your eye. Yeah. You know, Ray's yeah. needs to be reckoned with. Uh, one other question: Has anyone that was ever asked to write Ghostbusters before you ever come back to you and expressed any kind of jealousy? Well,
1: I've never met anybody. You yet. never met anybody. that would asked to write it. No.
0: Huh. I, didn't I don't know.
1: know who they asked before, but I heard it was a bunch of people.
0: Okay, I didn't know if somebody like Dan Hartman cornered you in a in a party somewhere and mm-hmm. said, "You bastard, I was going to write that song and I couldn't do it. And you <laughs> yeah. did it." You know? you know,
1: there was somebody famous who said they was supposed to write. I'm trying to think of who it was. I mean, somebody really famous told me that. I can't think of who it is now. Huh? Oh, okay. Said they were approached to do it. You know. All right. Well, I was just curious. Well, I think the person that was approached to do it that, that probably is upset that he didn't do it was was uh, the guy you mentioned, Huey Lewis. Yeah, I heard they approached <laughs> him. To do
0: pro- it. Really? At least
1: on this thing, that's what he said.
0: Yeah. Okay, that makes sense.
1: Maybe that's why he did the Back, Back to the, the Future movies after that. Yeah. yeah, he was like, "Hey, we should have done one the movie thing, y'all. You
0: know? <laughs> we blew it." Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, we blew
1: that one. <laughs> right. Okay.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks for talking with me, Ray. I love you a lot, and I, uh, I. You're one of my earliest musical memories and um, even aside from Ghostbusters, I just think you're the best. And so, thank you very much for talking to me.
1: Yeah, thanks for all your help and, and to the people, I love everybody and I'm having a wonderful time. Just, I mean,
0: just couldn't be happier. I'm a happy guy. Good, I'm glad you deserve it. There you have it, Ray Parker Jr. How cool is Ray? Has anyone ever been cooler than Ray? I don't think so. And you know his head is full of so many stories. I love it. I could have talked to him for hours about that. I got spooked. I got worried that I was calling him when he wasn't expecting me, and so I didn't want to take up too much of his time. I wish that I had now or I don't know. I just wish it had been different. Because I was so nervous that he didn't wasn't expecting my call and was just sort of like, Can we get this over with? When I really just wanted to dive into the backstory and the the whole all those collaborations. So many cool things. By the way, I want to end the show here with maybe my favorite Ray Parker Jr. song. This is track one off the first radio album from, I think, 1976, I want to say, 76, 77. This is Is This a Love Thing. I love this song. It's so funky and his guitar playing is amazing on here. Anyway, thank you so much, Ray, for talking to me and thank you, Fran Strine director extraordinaire for setting this up. I'm so grateful. And guys, the the link to the Indiegogo campaign is gonna be in the notes of this show. Uh, it's good. We're gonna post it on social media. I'm gonna donate, I hope you guys will too. I would love to see a movie based on Ray Parker Jr. I think that'd be amazing. Now, I had mentioned before, last, we were going to run a, an interview this week with a legend of British alternative rock. That's gonna come up next week instead. In the States, he's more of like a one-hit wonder, probably, but um, way more successful in the UK. And everybody knows who he is. He's one of the best there is. So I hope you'll come back for that. Uh, Huge thanks, as always, to Yan The Man, Malkiewicz, my right-hand man, Thanks, buddy, for everything that you do. Uh, By the way, we had to move because of some technical issues over at Yan's Place. We had to move our recap episode of the first couple of months of this year and what we thought about about the guests we've had and all those kinds of things. That episode should be coming out later this week, Thursday or Friday. Okay? And I hope you listened to the uh, Suburban Underground episode that I was on. Uh, give us your feedback of whether you like those songs, who picked the best ones. I thought that was a lot of fun. I love those guys. Subscribe to their podcast if you haven't already. It's just a weekly hour of great alternative rock. Uh, I think that's about it. Find us on Facebook, like the page, send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter at The Pod. Thanks, everybody.